Amen. Let's open our Bibles tonight to Matthew chapter number 19, if you would please. Matthew chapter uh, number 19. I was asking the teenagers before church if I should tell a story. And um, sometimes I think about telling a story, I think about telling a joke, but you don't want to be that one guy that always tells a joke, always tells a story, especially about his wife. And, uh, and so I told the teenagers, I said, all right, I have a story about my wife and a mouse. And I have a story about my dad. And they said, and I quote, Brother Joe, you probably shouldn't tell, well, they said Brother Collingsworth, you, you probably shouldn't tell another story about your wife. You're too mean to her. And I started to reflect. And I started to realize that I have a Christmas list as well. <laughs> and I started to realize that maybe this close to Christmas, I'll, I'll just not say anything about my wife other than she's the best person in my life, how much I love her. And so forth. But I will tell you a, a story about my dad. Because at this age in life, he ain't giving me nothing for Christmas. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> and uh, some of you got to meet my dad for the first time this year. Many of you have known him uh, for, uh, for, for a while. And this will kind of give you our dynamic. Now, uh, this will kind of help you to understand our relationship. It also help you understand me a little bit because we are all our father's children. That's just the reality of it. Now, my mom and dad, they, they weren't able to have kids until later in life. They had about five miscarriages. And, uh, and so when my brother was born, it was quite a while before they had me. My brother is several years older than me. And then, of course, I'm the middle child. That explains a lot right there. And then I have a little sister that's several years younger than me. Now, if you know my dad, and if you don't, this is just the reality. I'm just telling you how he is. My, my brother is the firstborn. You know, he's the birthright. <laughs> Nothing my brother can do is ever wrong. And then you have my little sister, the only girl of the family. It's, it's daddy's little girl. And then there's me. You understand, you understand the context of all of this. Well, because of the age gap and disparities and things of that nature, my brother did everything with my dad. Now, don't feel sorry for me. I'm just giving you the truth. That's just the reality. My brother was like this Boy Scout with my dad, and they went on trip after trip. I'm pretty confident at this stage of life that my brother has visited every state in America, every monument that you can think of, every valley, and I've had one road trip with my father. That's pretty much the reality of it. Now, I love my dad. He provided for us. I, I would never say anything about my dad, but that road trip meant so much to me. Now, what I'm going to tell you about this road trip is one small story of the road trip. But like I said, it's going to explain a lot about me. It'll explain a lot about my father. It'll explain a lot about our dynamic. During this road trip, it was several years ago, it was probably about 18 years ago, and we came down for a winter conference, and some of you might know what this is, some of you won't, but it's just for reference for those that remember, and it, this conference was held in the old Robertson Chapel and uh, it, it, off of the building off of Fleming, in Fleming Island. And so this was quite a while ago. While we were there, uh, we, we wound up having to wind up leaving early. My grandfather got sick, and uh, he lived in Baltimore at the time. And so we had to go pick up my sister. My mom had to go, uh, of course, to be with her father. And they looked like they were going to be there for an indefinite amount of time. So we wanted to go up to be with the family. And we needed to go to pick my sister up and then head back home eventually. So this is after that. And so as we're driving on this road, road trip, understand this was in a day and age when there was no such thing as Apple Maps. There, there was no such thing as Google Maps. 
There, there wasn't even a garment. It was an old trucker's map. You know what I'm talking about? You actually had to read the thing. And if you were wondering, I was the trucker map. I was, I was, I was that garment. I was the person saying, Dad, rerouting, rerouting, rerouting. You understand. And if you can imagine, and I'm guesstimating, it's been a while, probably about six, 15, 16 years old, I'm trying to navigate on this trucker map in a place I have never been before in my entire life, in Baltimore. And if you've never been in Baltimore, it's not the place you go to drive around. You understand what I mean? Well, we got on the highway at one point in time, and I was trying to give my dad directions, and of course, the traffic there is just, it, it is a monster. And we got to one point in the highway, and it was left or right. I did not see that on the map. <laughs> I did not know where we were. And, uh, and if you can imagine how you are with your own kids, uh, you love them, but you get frustrated at them. Uh, my dad is wanting to know if he needs to go left or if he needs to go right. And if you can imagine being a 15, 16-year-old boy, uh, trying to look at that really fine map and uh, trying to determine, I could not figure it out. But this is what I understood as a 15, 16-year-old boy. I had a 50-50 shot of being right. And so I made a judgment call. <clears throat> it happened to be the wrong judgment call. And we wound up going downtown Washington, D.C. That kind of bad judgment call. I'm talking about a block away from the White House judgment call. Just to, so you understand the frustration, I'm talking about all of a sudden the trip time was now an hour and a half to two hours extra because I made the judgment call that took us down Washington, D.C. Now, just trying to imagine, I can imagine when I get frustrated, but if you can imagine my father being red, steam coming out, out of his ears, he was mad. And it was, boy, you better figure out how to get us back on the highway and back in the right direction, and you better figure it out quick. I mean, you talk about a boy being scared. I mean, you talk about a boy being nervous. Now, my sister will tell you in hindsight that she had to go to the bathroom really bad, and for two hours, she said absolutely nothing because that's how mad my dad was. Of course, it was not directed at her. It was directed at the middle child. You understand what I mean? Because had my brother been there, my brother would have made the right call. <laughs> After two hours of navigating that city and getting us back on track, You've got to imagine this. I'm sitting in the passenger side. My dad reaches over as hard as he could and grabs me in the passenger seat. I mean, in this moment, I'm talking about seconds, life flashing before your eyes. I'm Hail Mary and everything saying, Lord, here I come. <laughs> he grabs me and is holding on to my shirt. And he goes, do you realize that we were a block away from the White House? I'm thinking, yeah, I know. I've been praying for the last two hours. He goes, do you realize that? And he, Lord is my witness, he says this, how cool was that? 
not really cool. It wasn't fun for me. And uh, so I say all that to say I love my father very, very much. And uh, I certainly appreciate him. Matthew chapter number 19. It's always an honor to be able to preach uh, while our pastor's away. I know we're looking forward to having him back, but I'm also looking forward to what the Lord is going to do tonight. Tonight we're going to look at a uh, very familiar passage of Scripture. And what I find interesting about this passage and what we're going to look at tonight is that it contains both a story uh, and a statement that, that are often preached separately. And that's at least in my experience. The story being the rich young ruler and the statement being, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. What a powerful statement that is. What an exciting uh, statement that is. One that is encouraging. Uh, one that is motivating. Hey, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. But wait a minute. That statement comes from a story that ends in sorrow. And here Jesus is putting in perspective the mission that all disciples have. That mission of others, that mission to see souls saved, that mission that is faced with adversity. What seems impossible is possible through Christ. And I believe when we put these truths in context with one another and we consider its narrative, we'll understand the issues that we're facing today, spiritually, culturally, politically in the home and in the church, and we'll realize the puzzling, puzzling questions that we have are often not as complicated as we make them out to be, but rather quite simple. And it all boils down with what we do with Jesus. So I pray that you'll listen as we dive into God's Word tonight. Matthew chapter number 19, and we will begin reading in verse number 16. The Bible says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up, what lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of God, of heaven. Please notice this before we move on. Jesus did not say it was impossible, but he did point out it was difficult. Verse number 24. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, 
but with God all things are possible. I want us to examine our own life tonight. I certainly want us to examine society and I want us to understand some things. But I fear though we have a powerful God who can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can think or ask. Even in the church house, there are those like the rich young ruler who are religious but lost. Perhaps not in this church, but in churches across our nation. And as a result, our society is feeling the impact of those who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Here we have a familiar story. The story of a rich young ruler. But we also have a familiar statement within its narrative. One that perhaps is displayed in our home. Some churches even have it engraved in stone. It is a popular statement. It is a popular saying. With men this is impossible. But with God all things are possible. We, we don't normally consider the two together, but by doing so, I believe the Holy Spirit will reveal where we are as a nation. Because I believe this speaks of modern day Christianity. And so we could ask, how could the rich young ruler walk away from the Lord? We, we could ask tonight, how could such a clean young man, a moral man, reject Christ? How could such a religious man walk away sorrowful? Now you forgive me, I just want to use my imagination, but I believe if we were to look at this man on paper, he believed the Bible. At least he said he did. He was religious. He had the standards. One could argue he was a fundamentalist through and through. He was faithful. All these things have I kept from my youth up, the Bible says. He knew the scriptures. He attended church. He was a hard worker. He had means, without a doubt, a tither. He was the kind of guy that you would want your daughter to go out with and even marry. He had his life together. He loved his mom and dad. He honored them. He was respectful. He loved his neighbors as himself, meaning uh, being religious. He shared his faith, but he walked away sorrowful. He walked away without God. Jesus then tells his disciples that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter in the kingdom of God. And the Bible says, verse 25 and verse 26, when his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And we rejoice in that statement tonight. We rejoice knowing despite us falling short of the glory of God because of His arm of grace is reaching out that by faith what is impossible can be possible. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. But as men wax worse and worse... In a day when men are calling evil good and good evil, we might ask in our discouragement, what good would it do to sell all and follow him? Listen, the answer for our marriage, the answer for our home, the hope of our nation and the hope of the next generation, the hope of our young people 
I believe, is determined by what we do with verse number 26. With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. We think of the Christmas season. We think of the name Emmanuel, God with us. We think of those words on display. Perhaps we go to Hobby Lobby and we see them everywhere. Words like hope, words like peace. Words like joy. Could I say the only hope our young people have is hope with God? Uh, could I say the peace that we seek, the peace that we long for is peace with God? That joy comes from a soul whose thirst has been satisfied by a well of everlasting life. Just like the woman at the well in John 4 who met Jesus, whose life was changed. She went back into town and told the city uh, of a, uh, a life-changing joy she experienced at the well. Please notice this, with God. You see, the question that we must ask, yet so simple for some, seems so hard and difficult, is defined for us in verse 26. And that question is this, with or without? How are we going to live our life? With God or without God? And for just a few moments, I want us to consider that thought, with or without. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we would come to you tonight as we examine our own life. Lord, are we living with your power or without your power? Are we living this life uh, following your guidance or are we just following the guidance of those that could care less? Lord, as we examine our life tonight, it is my prayer that we be found faithful to the will of God that we would be faithful to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. But Lord, there are things that we can only do in our flesh, but the things that you've given us to do, we cannot do without you. And so tonight I ask that we would examine our lives and if need be, we would renew. We would experience revival in our own heart and we would be challenged to be committed to the cause of Christ tonight. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. The rich young ruler walked away sorrowful. We understand that, and that alone is a very sad thing. But understand this, he walked away without God. He still had his religion. He still had his convictions. He still looked the part, and he still played the part. But he was without God. He chose the path of man, which is an impossible path, over acknowledging God and allowing, and allowing God to direct his paths. If there was ever a man it should have been easy for, if there was ever a man who should have known better, it would have been the rich young ruler. I believe it would be hard-pressed if the rich young ruler said in our midst tonight, I think that we'd all look to him and say he might be the best church member in the entire room. And yet the reality is he walked away sorrowful and he walked away without God. He walked away without God's power in his life. He walked away without God's provision and God's protection. He walked away without God's plan for his life. Think of all of the things that he 
could have done for the Lord, but because he walked away sorrowful, because he walked away without God, all that he could have done for the Lord went from possible to impossible. I want us to consider four things tonight and then we'll be through. Number one, I want us to consider the symbolism. The rich young ruler, yes, symbolizes the individual and and we can make that application tonight and we will, but he symbolizes so much more. The rich young ruler is a representation, as I mentioned earlier, I believe, of modern Christianity. He speaks of the church. He speaks of a nation. Yes, he speaks of the individual, but he also represents the collective group. Those that have been blessed. Those that have been faithful. Those that are religious. Those that have a desire to follow Christ. Or those that say they have the intention to follow Christ. They come to Jesus every week in the form of a church service and they say they want to be his disciple. They can give a list of what they have done. They can tell about how how moral they are. They can tell how conservative they are. They can tell how they vote and this should convict us. Because that same crowd will come to church and listen to a message and the Holy Spirit will convict them and instead of getting right, instead of following the leading of the Holy Spirit, they will walk out of church sorrowful even with a smile on their face. Don't miss this now. They'll walk out without God, grieving the Holy Spirit unrepentant holding on to that sin which they refused to give up for God. Watch this now. If there was ever a generation that it should be easy for, if there were ever churches that should have known better, would we not agree that this would be a generation that Christianity should be easy to follow the Lord? I mean, the last time I checked, people weren't being crucified out on the street. I'm sorry if you got hurt on social media, but you need to get over your little snowflake self. You're not being crucified. You're not being stoned to death in the street. Somebody disagrees with you, boo-hoo. Should it not be easy for us? Should it not be easy for us as a church to stand on the word of God? You would think so. How we have been blessed What does the Bible say? To whom much is given, much shall be required. And we have a faith, a common salvation that people have fought for. People have died for. A faith that has been passed down from generation to generation. A faith that was once delivered unto the saints. But sadly, even in our churches, there are those that walk away without God. That does not have to be said of you. That does not have to be said of us. If I could just use this comparison, we do not have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years forfeiting the blessings of God because of our lack of faith. We don't have to consider the counsel of 10 men whose eyes saw the impossible. We can trust in God and with him we can watch the walls of Jericho fall. We can see the impossible become possible with God. I want us not only to consider the symbolism, but at the same time I want us to consider 
the status. He was a rich young ruler. And by the way, despite how you feel over the last couple of presidential cycles, despite how you feel when you go to the grocery store and when you go to the gas pump and when you, and when you just, inflation is real and it hits home. Despite how you feel about that, I would remind you that we are still a rich, young nation. A nation that was founded on Christian principles. A nation that in years past have fought for Christian freedoms. And make no mistake tonight, even with inflation, the poorest person in America is rich compared to the poorest person in a third world country and much of the developed world. Point being, we have been blessed. We can put our religious resume together tonight. We have been a nation who pledges allegiance to one nation under God. We are a nation whose currency declares our trust in Him. All of these things we have known from our youth up. God has shed His grace on thee. We've known the scriptures. You can find them even in Washington's monument in D.C., It is in our declaration we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, not evolved, created equal. That they are endowed by their creator, not government, but creator with unalienable rights. That among these are life, even in the womb, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We have seen God move in our own nation. If I could just give you a little history, the Great Awakening... In the 1730s and the 1740s was a religious revival that impacted the English colonies in America. It was a movement that came at a time when the idea of secular rationalism was being emphasized and a passion for religion had grown stale. Churches were becoming lifeless and going further and further away from the will of God. Doesn't that sound familiar today? But... We found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Not because there were those walking away from God sorrowful, but because there was a remnant, a people who knew with God all things are possible. Our nation, like the rich young ruler, has been blessed. Who would have ever thought that a group of ragtag fighters just a couple decades after the Great Awakening could stand up to the might of the British Empire and declare its independence. Just thinking of the ages of our founding fathers, young men, uh, during that awakening, that spiritual revolution, whose minds were influenced well before the signing of that declaration of independence, whose faith brought them to their knees well before Valley Forge. How does that happen? With man, this is impossible. But with God... All things are possible. How can a nation, along with other nations, stand up against an axis of evil and win? There is only one answer with God. I would remind us even in the tough times in America's history, during World War II, our churches were full. 
During World War II, our altars were filled with people praying for God's mercy. They were praying for those that were fighting in war, praying for those they loved, praying that God would be gracious to their children's future. But if we were to just fast forward a little bit into the not so distant future and look at our nation now, what do we find? Our churches aren't as full as they used to be. Our children do not have the same morals that they used to have. Our altars are no longer full like they used to be. Our Bibles probably have dust on them, to be quite frank. You see, we would look and we would find a divided nation. We would find a people that are sorrowful. And we can talk all we want about political platforms, but the reality is, is that we are a nation without God. Yes, we can give our resume just like the rich young ruler, but unless we are willing to listen to the preacher over the politician, unless we are willing to prioritize church over our checkbook or so winning over our self-interest, we will always be a nation without God. And the sad truth is, if there was one nation other than Israel, it should have been easy for. If there was ever a nation that should have known better other than Israel, it would have been the rich young nation known as America. But we have walked away from God sorrowful. But we are not without hope. Because with God, the impossible can become possible. We've seen the symbolism. We've seen the status. But I want us to notice number three. I want us to consider the spiritual decline. I want to get to the last point. But I just certainly want us to understand the reality of today. We can't focus on the solution if we're unwilling to acknowledge the problem. I want us to consider the spiritual decline. We could ask, why is it our young people are growing up so immoral? Why is it when we turn to the book of 2 Timothy and we look at the last days, those perilous days, there are young people that are ungrateful, disobedient to parents? We could ask those questions. Why is it that our government is so corrupt? Why are young people abandoning the faith? Listen to me now. Good politicians will not help our nation if good people do not listen to the man of God and obey the word of God. The answer is, but the answer is because without God it's impossible. It doesn't matter who you did or didn't vote for. I know that's not a popular opinion, but the question is, who are you serving? What matters is, who have you chosen to follow? I mean, you can throw a stone in any direction and hit a church. And quite frankly, those churches every year will have a revival meeting. But I don't see revival taking place. Why is it our homes seem so unstable? What does the Bible say? A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Hey, you can't be spiritual and carnal. You can't be holy and wicked. You can't live with God and without God. It doesn't work that way. 
You can't have it both ways. You see, what man may fabricate might impress even in religion, but only what God establishes will last. What we're seeing is a spiritual decline. Forget the fabrications, uh, forget the pretense, forget what you see on social media. It's not because there aren't churches, it's not because there aren't Christians, but it's because things are being done without God. Now, that leads me to my fourth and final point, and that is the need of our day. Number four, I want us to consider the salvation that is needed. I want us to consider the salvation that is needed. Do we not look at our society and understand the fact that the soul of man needs saved? Do we not consider that our spirit needs saved? That it needs to be uncorrupted and undefiled like Daniel who purposed in his heart that he would not take of the king's meat, but that he would be different? We would not be influenced. We could make the application. He would not be influenced today by social media. He would not be influenced today uh, by Hollywood. I I would just make the application that what is going on in our school systems all across our nation, hey, our schools need saved. There is reading material in our schools that have no place in that school. There is philosophy that has no place in the school system of our day, I would argue that our sacred assemblies need saved from secularism. Our states need saved from sinful philosophies and liberal uh, political policies. I think of the state that I'm from. I think of Ohio. Uh, you can, we can argue and debate if you feel differently, but I do not consider Ohio a blue state. And yet they just passed legislation to okay marijuana across the state. Just in our history, I, I would not consider us, now things change from time to time, but I would not consider us a deep blue state. I would, I would think we would lean a little conservative, and yet even in Ohio they passed a, a, an abortion law that actually is okay with abortion. You see, we can look at our nation as a whole and we can think about things that were overturned, but even in our states, they are in our conservative states. There are people, though they say they're religious, though they might have a T-shirt that says, I have decided, something doesn't seem to add up when you have a conservative state passing liberal policies. Something doesn't seem right in the church house when you have a Christian that says they believe a certain way on Sunday, but Monday rolls around and they don't live uh, like uh, they've been living with God, but they live like they've been living with the devil. Something just doesn't seem to add up. And so we could come to the conclusion tonight that there is a need for salvation, not only in our home, not only in our schools and in our states, but even in our churches. You see, I would argue that churches have done a great job emphasizing programs, and I'm all for programs. But as I said a moment ago, you can take a rock and throw it and probably hit a church. Have we neglected God's plan? Uh, We don't have a shortage of churches 
We do have a great need. Well, what is God's plan? I think it was mentioned Wednesday. I think it was mentioned this morning. God's plan is that not any should perish. But that all should come under repentance. I believe I mentioned it last time. It was the last time you saw somebody come knocking on your door, inviting you to, inviting you to church and telling you about the gospel. I, I just want you to think about it. When's the last time somebody invited you to church? And maybe a more convicting question is, when is the last time you invited somebody to church? Our theme for next year is others. Can I tell you the need of others? The need is the gospel. They need the salvation of Christ on the cross, but they need us to be committed to the cause. I think of our theme this year, a double portion. I think, of course, of that relationship between Elijah and Elisha. And do you remember when the religious crowd would pick on Elisha because he wanted to be near the man of God? Do you remember when the religious crowd would try to give them their ideology and try to give them, uh, they would try to make him more relevant to the day. Do you understand what I mean? What Elijah, Elisha say to Elijah, he said, As long as thy soul liveth and as long as the Lord liveth, I will not leave thee. Now, I think that is a wonderful statement. I think there are several applications that we can make. But I would just ask this very simple question. Does the soul die? Is not our Lord alive? You see, Elisha was faithful not only when Elijah was present... He was not just faithful to the man, but he was faithful to the mandate behind the man. He was faithful to the mission behind the man. And when Elijah went away, he said, hey, he may not be in my presence, but this I know my Lord still lives and Elijah's soul still lives and I will still be committed to the cause. There are some great men of God in years past that many of us have sat under, many of us have read after, and many of us talk about, and you would be loyal to them, and I'm thankful for that. But are you loyal to the mandate behind the man? Are you loyal to the mission behind the man? Could I tell you the great mission of Jack Hiles and the great mission of Lee Robertson and the great mission of Curtis Hudson and the great mission of John R. Rice has not gone away. It is still here. It is still the great need of our day. And that need is the gospel to a lost and dying world. And do you know what others need? Others need us to be faithful to that cause, to reach the gospel to reach the world with the gospel, but we cannot do it without God. Here's the truth, and we're through. I believe it answers the problems of our day because judgment must first begin in the house of God. Here it is. God doesn't want the majority of you. He wants all of you. God does not want the majority of you. He wants all of you. 
Salvation is not something that you can earn through your works. That's what God was pointing out to the rich young ruler. That there was nothing he could do to earn salvation. Jesus was revealing to him his sinful condition. But instead of falling down before the Lord Jesus Christ and saying, Here I am, O Lord, a sinful man. He walked away sorrowful. He walked away holding on to what he valued most. But he walked away without God. Think about what God could have done with his life. Think about how God wanted to use his life. His argument was simple, Lord, you have the majority of me. But Christ said, I want all of you. Sadly, there are those that are saved still holding on to what is preventing them from reaching their fullest potential for God. And they'll live a life of sorrow, grieving the Holy Spirit, hindering the work of God in their life. Those saved, they'll live a life without God because of what they refuse to give up for Him. We look around this world and we see the salvation that is needed, but has God not entrusted us with that message? Has he not entrusted us to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world, to every creature, to spread the tidings of great joy, to preach that message of hope, that message of peace, that message of joy? You see, the question tonight is not if God has the majority of you, because I believe he does. But does God have all of you? I look around this room at people who have a desire to follow God, people that have a love for God, and I think, what could be done for the Lord Jesus Christ in that life if we would simply give our all to God? I think of us as a collective group, and I think, what in the world can we do as the Emmanuel Baptist Church to reach Jacksonville, Florida, and the world. I mean, my goodness, what could we do for the Lord Jesus Christ? And we can go to God with our resume, and we could go to God and say, God, look at the talent that we have. God, look at what we're doing for you. And we might even say in this, this thought, Lord, we give the majority of our life to you. And God says, but I don't want the majority. I want all of you. I have a purpose for you. I have a plan for you. There is a work that God has for you and I, and though it might seem impossible to man, with God, all things are possible. And so tonight we ask that question, how are you living your life? With God or without? We think of the hope of our teenagers. Their hope is with God, not without. Maybe your marriage is going through some struggles. Can I say the hope of that marriage is with God, not without what God has for us to do might seem impossible. But it is not impossible with God. So tonight, may we examine ourselves and may you answer this question. Does God have the majority of you?
or does he have all of you? Our heads are bowed, our 